supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be known to God. We have a prayer request. You should fill out the slip in the worship folder. It's all be passed in during the offering. I'll pray for you today for that group. Treehouse Ministries is one of our partnership ministries. Uh, extra change for families in need of personal goods for their babies. We have our weekly shelf in the lobbies where you drop off food donations. In Washington, on the Washington Monument, they have the Latin words, Laus Dei, which translate to praise be to God. As you're able, please rise and join us as we open our worship. Oh, beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of gray, for purple mountains' majesty.
may be seated. And as you're able, please rise and join us as we continue our worship. Lord breaks the power of sin and darkness, whose love is mighty and so much stronger, the King of glory, the King above all kings. Justice shines like the sun in all 
Respond to your 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Sunday that we can break the bread and drink the cup in celebration of the freedom you bought for us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for all the blessings that you've given to us and for this wonderful nation that we have. Lord, we just are so blessed, and we just want to give back to you just a portion and say thank you, God. We pray are really blessed. In your name we pray. Amen. Let us break bread together on our Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this day, Lord. For the blessings of life that you give us every day. For the challenges of life that you give us every day. And Father God, I just pray for these folks and for our nation. I come to you with the struggles that our nation is going through right now, the challenges. I pray, Father God, especially for the freedoms that we have. We are so blessed here to live the way we do and to experience the way we do. And yet, Father God, um, we're concerned about it because we're afraid it's going to be lost. I ask you, Father God, have mercy on us as those brothers formed the Constitution and framed the Declaration of Independence on their knees. So, Lord, will our leaders finally do that and not rebel against the church or against God? truly listen to you and listen to what is good for the people of this nation. 
I ask you, Father God, especially for help in, in dealing with uh, Croatia and all those areas that are going right now um, and flaring up. And we pray about with the Russians. We pray for those people who are fighting for freedom. We pray also, too, Father God, for other areas of the world that are hot spots. We just pray, Father God, too, for our domestic policy and the problems that are there, too. Lord, we need your help, and we look to you for guidance, especially as we celebrate the independence of this great nation. We pray that we do not lose it by foolishness, but that we fight the good fight and keep this nation free. We come to you, Father, too, for people who are struggling in their lives right now. I think of a marriage. Pray for a friend, Lord, that's going through an ordeal right now, that you be with him and you'll be with his family as they go through this difficult time and that, Lord, your glory can shine forth and you can heal that. I pray for another family that's got a similar situation and I just pray for healing for that family too. I pray, Father God, too, for some people that I found out this week that are having some grave issues in their lives. I think of Nick and uh, his family as they go through this ordeal with him getting all the tests and getting operations so that uh, he can improve his life. I pray also, too, for the Gum family, and I pray also for uh, Mark's family, Lord, as they are going through difficulties, too. And I pray also, too, for um, uh, John, Lord, that you'll be with him as he gets his test this past week as he goes up to Kansas City, Lord, and as he's getting these uh, difficult. We pray also, too, Lord, for the challenges that we have now, Lord. I pray that you will work in these situations, Lord, and bring glory to your name. I pray, Father God, too, that um, as we see things going on around us, Lord, that you will bring the things that are necessary and hopeful, Lord, in our lives. I pray also, Lord, for the message today, Lord, as we're going to be challenged. I pray, Lord, that you will help us in the challenges that we have to face. And now, Lord, give us uh, the wisdom to hear what we need to hear, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Today we are continuing in our passage with um, James. And if you'll notice on your slip with the papers that I hand out with the... Um, you'll see dates, two dates. The first one on the left-hand side is empty. And if you want and feel brave enough, you can fill in your birth date. <laughs> um, mine is 514.53. And on the other side is another date that's divided by a dash. And that's our death. Now, it's amazing how today we're going to be hearing from James about life. And about what it means, what life is really all about. And it's going to be challenging to hear because some of the things we don't want to hear. But as we consider it, we look at it. And we find that we had nothing to do with the first date. It happened without our say-so, our birth. And that our death date is also, we have nothing to say. And that in between, we have this dash. That we're given the opportunity to live a life. 
And this is what James is concerned about as we as Christians in the midst of the dash, when we go through crisis, when we go through temptations, when we go through difficulties in life, how do we live it? What do we say out of our mouth? What do we do? And so here we have our birth date and then the dash, that little mark on the paper, which means our whole lifespan. And then we have our death And I don't know about you, but as I get older, I'm starting to hear you sound like my parents. Man, life is going fast. (laughs) I say that constantly now, and especially you see the world around me seems to be getting younger and younger. The psalmist says it's like a breath. It's like a vapor. It's like a shadow that passes. And as you get older, you realize that. And when you're younger, sometimes you take that for granted. And I know there are apps on the cell phones or in your computers that can calculate when they think you're going to die, but they have no clue. The only one who has the clue is God. He has your date set. And today in James, he's going to speak to us because he's talking about real life and he's talking about something that is so critically important. In verse 13 today, he says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make profit. Yet, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. James is speaking. And can you imagine he's in a boardroom? He's listening in. And they're talking about, okay, this is what we're going to do, and this is what we're going to make. And we're going to go to this city, and we're going to spend a year there, and we're going to engage in business, and we're going to make a huge killing. And then James says, but (laughs) you don't even know if you're going to be around tomorrow. We all remember the parable of the man who had all these barns, and he was so proud that he knocked some down and built bigger ones because he was making so well his profits. And then one night, the Lord required his life. You see, it can be very much presumptive thinking on our own part. We can get excited about the future. We can plan the future. In fact, the Bible wants us to plan. The Bible wants us, for instance, the father to plan to provide for his family. Otherwise, he's considered an infidel. Or the mother, we see in Proverbs chapter 31, who cares for her family and makes sure they have all the provisions. And she takes her planning. There's nothing wrong with the planning. What James is concerned about is that when we plan our lives, we don't think about God in it. And we don't realize that God is the one who's in control, not us. And how easy it is for us to lose sight of that. And that a God is the one who approves the plan. You see, James is talking about an attitude among our lives where without humble, we don't go with and look at what God wants. We just go about what we want. It's easy to be presumptuous about what the future holds and to be confident without God in unpredictable times. And then we wonder why the wall, it comes crumbling down on us and we get discouraged and we get disappointed and we're frustrated or we think and imagine how good that next job is going to be and then when we get there, it stinks. James speaks to us here today. He doesn't want us to despair or feel hopeless. 
Yes, we're to plan, but think about God's plan, that he's in control and not fall into the hopelessness. You see, it's so easy to get sideswiped by something that we did not plan on. Three years ago, I was going down Maple. There was not a car in sight except this one car coming out of family video. They were parked there. And I was driving, and all of a sudden I hear crunch, and my car moves sideways. And here this lady who was sitting, waiting to pull out, was, I believe, doing some other things with her attentiveness, and creamed me on the side of my car. Here I was going along, just everything was good. And all of a sudden I had to wait for the police and do reports, take it and be down a car for a while so it could get fixed. All because of that. And you see, James is saying that that type of thing happens to us all the time. We could be going along really great and we have it planned all out and everything's fine. And then all of a sudden we get sidelined by something that takes us by surprise. You see, because James' point is, you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring you. You have no knowledge of the future. And we're really making these guesses out of ignorance because we're not sure what really is going to happen tomorrow. The stock market, we see that. We see people betting. They don't know what's going to happen. They try to predict it, but really God's got it in his hand. And there's a purpose behind this all. If God let us see the future all the time, and we knew exactly when that person that we love is in the operating room now, and that they're going to come out, everything's going to be fine. Are we going to need faith? Will we need to pray? No. We wouldn't even need God. If he'd just show us everything in the future, we'd have to worry about it. But you see, the Bible tells us that one thing, it's impossible to please God without faith. We need to trust God. And the reason he doesn't show us the future, the reason he doesn't give us the answers to our prayers right away, because we need faith. Otherwise, we would not trust him, and we would get careless, and we'd become despondent because we wouldn't have the faith to deal with when the rejection comes or the prayer that we doesn't get answered. And so he has this thing called timing and faith in it. And that we need to live by faith so we can trust him. And that when that person's in the operating room getting operated on in a very critical surgery, that's when our prayers really get intensified and we really get worried because now we don't know. And we don't know what God's plan is. And if the surgery goes bad, we still need that faith to trust him as things are going south. He also understands us, and we don't realize what our life will bring tomorrow. The longevity. Will I live today? Will I live tomorrow? Will I live 10 years from now? I don't know. Neither do you. And that's why God gives us this faith. 
so that we can trust in him and that we realize that every day is a gift of God and every step we take, we need to walk in his will and trust him for it. You know, we come very close sometimes, as it says, that we're like a vapor. You know, there's some people who put off knowing Jesus Christ. I can tell you several people that I've met in hospitals. I can remember a young man by the side of a basketball court, 16 years old. And I said to him, have you ever thought about Jesus Christ? And I was trying to talk to him about it. He said, oh, I'm too young for that. I don't need that yet. I got a life, long life to live. The following week, he was killed in a motorcycle accident. Gone just like that. And he thought he had enough time to figure that all out. There's an old fable about the devil having three of his highest demons come to talk to him. And those three demons came because they wanted to figure out what was a way to discourage Christians, but also non-Christians who might come to know Christ. And so the one demon says to the devil, I know, let's tell him there's no heaven. Well, the devil thought, he said, no, you can't do that. He said, the Bible is full of talk about heaven and a place that we could go to and we can live forever. So that won't work. The second demon said, well, look, I've got a good one. Let's tell them that there's no hell and they don't have to face what they've done in this life. The devil said, no, that's not going to work either. In fact... Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven in his parables. So that's not going to work. And finally, the third demon, he said, I've got it. Let's tell everybody that there's no hurry, that they don't have to make the decision now. They can put it off. More people have thought of that. And say, I've got time. I've gone through my mind and there's been about six or seven people that I've talked to. Some of them at bedside in the hospital. Who said, oh no, I, I, I don't need to think about that right now. And wound up dying within the year after our talk. Folks, it is very present. And it's very necessary for us to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. To open your heart and prepare yourself to meet him. Because we never know. As James is spelling it out. Look what he says. He says, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. James, the psalmist is talking about a baby being born. And, and being molded in its mother's womb here. It's a beautiful passage that I can't see anyone who wants to think about abortion. Would even think about it when they read that passage about how God forms us in our mother's womb. And he gives us the genes that we, oh, it's a beautiful passage. But then he says, and in your book, which is the book of life life that we're all in and the date is set we're written the days that are were ordained for me which was living now and when they there was not one of them and that I still have to live but he knows what I'm going to do and when I'm going to die you see the Bible's full of that 
And we see that in the, the scriptures here today. James is saying, you don't know. This past week, I was pretty rattled because two people that I know, full of life, one of them is 70 years old, great guy, has all the kind of things you would ever want financially. All the toys, summer houses and all, and they could go to Europe whenever they wanted to. And his mother-in-law called me from the East Coast and said to me, Pastor Dave, you need to go see him because he was not feeling good and he wasn't connecting all his thoughts. And he's down at St. Francis now but they found that he had a tumor in the middle of his brain. It's inoperable. And they give him three to six months. I get off the phone and I pray and I go to see him. Two days later, I had some business and I called one of my supervisors and he said, Oh, did you hear? Now, this man is 40 years old. Young kids. Great guy. He says he's full of cancer. They just found out. And they give him only a few months left. There's nothing they can do. James, he says it to us. We don't even know if we have tomorrow. Some of you have been through situations where you've seen this and that your life is in God's hands and we need to put it there. And then we also need to live it in the dash. We need to have this perspective and this is what James's goal is here because he's got a lot of people now that are feeling good. Life is starting to get better for them and they're away from the Roman emperor and all the stuff that was going on and He's saying, but you're making plans and you're not thinking about God. You're presuming that your life is going to be good forever. And it's not. And so he says, you need this perspective. You need the perspective of God's providence. Instead, you ought to say, he says, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. Paul, we see this in his writings. He says, you see, we live and breathe because of what God has given to us. He even talks to the pagans and they understand that. That's what he says in Acts 17 to the pagans. And their writers would say that, that we're in God's hands. But then he says, you know, in Romans 1, he says, if the Lord wills, I'll come and see you. You see, the Puritans understood this when they sent letters to each other. They would write, we're hoping to come to see you if the Lord wills. And at the end of the letter, when they signed it, they put this DV right next to their name. It means Dio Valente, which means God willing. You see, they lived in the perspective that God wills it, it will take place. But if it's not God's will, it's not going to take place. We'll do this or that if the Lord wills. And we need to have that perspective 
That's what the Christian perspective is, that we come before the Lord. And I, I can remember my father when we would pray at the dinner table, and he would pray all these things for healing of people and stuff like that. And then at the end of it, he says, nevertheless, we wish your will and not our will. Oh, Dad, you just ruined it. No, that's the way it should be. It's God's will. And that's right and good. Whatever God wills is right and good. And it's important for us to understand that. See, Lincoln understood this. One day they had a prayer breakfast. And Lincoln was at this prayer breakfast. And one of the preachers who organized it said, Mr. President, what we have here is that we want to pray that the Lord will be with you. And that he will take care of you and we will win this war. And Mr. Lincoln said, sir, pray that not that God is on our side, but that we are doing the will of God. That's what we need to pray for. See, he understood that. That God's will is an important thing, not our will. And it's so easy to trust in our own ability to put things together and forget about God. And James is saying here, no, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or do that. That's what it is. And that we trust Christ for our future. And whether it's good or bad, we can still trust him because he will carry us through if it's bad. And if it's good, he will lead our way. You see, we don't really need to know what the will of God is. He's already revealed it. He's revealed it in his word. We don't need, there's things that we don't have to decide on. It's already been decided if we truly are students of God's word. The Ten Commandments are very plain. And they're very relevant. And we can know what God's will is. We can understand it. And that we seek God to show us his will in the things that we're about to do. But then... There are things that are gray areas. You all know, go through them. Should we buy this house? Should I date this girl? Should I do this or should I do that? How am I going to know, Lord? You got to reveal that to me. Well, God reveals it to us. The Corinthians were quite a wild group. And they struggled with doing what was right to begin with. They found themselves doing things that should never be done. And Paul calls them out on it. But then he talks to them about those gray areas. Those areas that he doesn't always say, Dave, you're going to meet Sandy in, in, in 1974. And you're going to get married to her in 1980. No, he doesn't do that. Instead, he gives us ways through the scriptures to discern what is good for us and what we need to do with those gray areas and that we can discern what is God's good and perfect will and that we can live that out in our lives. And first thing he says in 1 Corinthians 6 is about our relationship with Christ. Is it going to affect our relationship with Christ, good or bad? Then he says in 6.2, it's something lawful, but not good for me. That means I have the freedom to do whatever I want to do with this situation. 
I have free agency. But is that thing going to be good for us, for me, for my family? Yes, I can buy this boat. There's nothing wrong with buying a boat. But is it good for me? Will it keep me walking with the Lord or will it take me more away from the Lord and doing things and with my family and stuff, it will take us away from God? Then he gives us another one. He says to us, your temple of God is your body. What you do with your body is very important. And are you going to treat it this way or are you going to treat it that way? And then he also talks about is this going to be good for me? Am I going to function properly? Am I going to be helpful to somebody else? Or is it going to take away from me? In 620, he says to us, you have the freedom to do certain things. But is that freedom going to hurt your friends? You're free to go have a drink, Dave, if you want. But if your friend is struggling with alcoholism, do you have the drink in the bar or at the restaurant with him and so tempt him? Or do you restrict your freedom so you can lift that person up? Hmm. So that you don't let them stumble. You want to do this thing, Dave. Is it going to profit you? Is it going to edify you and get you closer to Christ? Or doing that thing, is it going to get you away from the Lord? Maybe start pulling you away. And then the one he throws in there is 1031. He says, will it glorify God? Does this thing glorify God, Dave, that you're going to do? Or is it going to glorify Dave? And then he hits in verse chapter 13 with the love chapter. Dave. That love. Is that love patient? Is that love kind? Is it boast? That it's better than other people? No. Dave. Those relationships that you have. Are you going to be able to impact them for Christ? Or are they going to bring you down the road of sin. And draw you away from Christ? 1 Corinthians 15.33 Be careful of relationships that can easily drag you away from Christ. You see, this is the beauty of it. How am I to live? James is saying here, we ought to live as God wills. That's the way he wants us. I know there are people who have problems with relating with each other. We talked about in our first point of the problem of not knowing the time. What if we all lived as if Christ was going to call us home that day, that you knew you were going to die that day? How would you treat your spouse differently? 
How would you treat your children differently? How would you handle relationships at work if you knew that was going to be your last day and you're going to go into eternity? You see, I, I, I didn't realize the delight that came until after I, I, you know, I brought up in a very religious home with rules and boundaries and helpful. But when I came to know Christ, I realized those rules and boundaries were helps to make me experience the joy of Christ and the freedom. And the things that my friends did, I never did. And I was free from those things. And they were in bondage to them. Some of them were brought down by them. And what a beautiful thing when you discover the delight in doing the will of God in your life, that it frees you. And you don't have to do things because you have to do them, but the delight in obeying what God says frees you up in life. That's the beauty of it. That's God's will. Because we never know. We never know when our time comes to an end. CNN had a reporter who talked to two guys who authored a book, The Hundred Things in My Bucket List Before I Die. And man, oh man, the one of the fellows was on his way, and then he died two weeks later. And that's James's point. We need to align ourselves with God. Get our relationship right with God. We're not independent. We're dependent on God. And we need to admit that we're ignorant of the future. We don't know what's going to happen. We need to acknowledge that life is very short. And how we spend it is very important. And that we need to align ourselves with the will of God. That's where the joy is. But you see the problem, James says. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So he's saying, you're so proud of what you're accomplishing and what you're doing, you've lost sight of it. And that's evil. He says, and therefore, no one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it's sin. So he says, cut it out. Quit sinning. That we need to trust Christ here. Stand firm and walk in his ways. And the delight of life will come to you. Even in Ephesians. And he says, don't omit it. Don't omit doing what's good. Do what is right. Follow God's way. Experience it in a new way. Yes, plan, but continue with your plan saying, if God wills it. And then seek to do God's will in all areas of your life. You see, the world has this idea of the writer who wrote, his name is William Ernest Henley. And he wrote a little poem, a little ditty, that's called Invictus. And you'll recognize right away the last two lines of what he wrote. Because he says, I am the master of my fate, the captain of my soul. And how wrong he was. 
And how many people have fallen in line with that. We can make great plans, folks. But the Lord is over it all. And there are things that he's going to do in our lives because he knows what we need and he loves us and he doesn't want us to flounder. And so he'll interject in those plans and make us wake up to his, what is right in his eyes. That's what will happen. There was a great guy by the name of Jim Elliott future missionary, pilot. And he prayed and he asked God for God's will and he knew that God wanted the Alka Indians to hear the gospel. But what he didn't understand was how that would happen. He laid it before the Lord. And then they made plans and they sent Pamphlets, and they did all kinds of things to build relationships with these Indians in South America. And then they finally decided they were going to go into the jungle and go to those Indians. And they landed their plane. And there was no hostility at first. They saw them. They knew they were watching them. But on the third day, those Indians attacked and killed and cannibalized those seven men. Seven missionaries made headlines in Time Magazine at the time in 1958. But Jim was right that God had a plan that those Indians would come to Christ and Jim's wife, Elizabeth Elliot, and her two-year-old daughter went to those Indians and built a relationship. She led the chief who was part of the killing of her husband to Christ. And they did come to know Christ. But God's plan was different. Today, folks, as we begin this day and we go on till tomorrow, remember what James says to us. As we plan, plan if the Lord wills it. And that, as Proverbs summarizes this all for us, folks, we make the plans, but it's the Lord who determines the ways. And that we trust him no matter what. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love. And there are people within my voice that have things going on in their life, but they don't know what is going to happen. We all are like that, Lord. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. And there seems confusion and sometimes stuff that goes on that distracts. But I thank you, God, that you're in control. And you know exactly what's going to happen. And that, Lord, we trust you. We lay ourselves in faith before you and trust you that you are going to work through these things. And whatever will come what may, that it will be your good.
Help us to trust you that way, Lord, and not be afraid. And that we can see your glory shining through these events. And that we trust that it's your will that we trust and not our own. And it's in Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. This time we'll receive our communion. The wonderful freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Because of what Christ did on the cross. We know that our celebration today is first a remembrance of what Christ did for us on Calvary and how he shed his blood to cover over the ugliness of our sin before God's sight and how he washed away our sin through his blood. That we have communion with Christ at this present moment, that he's present here with us to share in this event. And that we know that we have a tremendous hope because of this very event that Christ broke his body and that he shed his blood, that we have eternal life and that we'll go to heaven. And it's at this time we're going to receive the communion supper. The Lord Jesus, the night in which he's betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. for us. Amen. In the same manner also he took the cup of when they had supped that he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Just do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.
remembrance of the blood of Jesus Christ that washed away all our sins. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us that this life is in your hands and it's no better place to be because you washed us, you've cleansed us, and you've prepared a home for us. We give you praise, God, for being such a loving God. In your name we pray, amen. Please rise as we sing the closing chorus and then receive our benediction. Now may the God of grace be upon you now and forever. May his face shine upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen.